Welcome to We've Got Issues. I'm Joshua Holland, and I am off this week. I am in the middle of nowhere, completely cut off from civilization. I'm doing some scuba diving in a remote corner of the Sea of Cortez. Um, I do a normal introduction, kind of riffing off the news, but I have no clue what is happening in the world, which is, I think, pretty refreshing. I think I'm going to enjoy it. Um, I am certainly hoping for some good news upon my return. I'd like the, uh, I'd like all of you to do whatever you can to, you know, make sure that we have some, we return to some good news. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly hoping for some new Trump indictments to pile up while I'm gone. That would be pretty sweet. Um, we do have a good show for you this week. I did not, you know, just abandon you to your own devices. We recorded an interview with Will Summer of the Daily Beast. Last week, he has a book out about the QAnon movement. Uh, we recorded that before I left. So um, stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break and then come right back for that talk. Welcome back. This is our 179th show, and I was actually shocked to discover that we've never had our next guest on. I've been reading Will Summer closely since the emergence of the MAGA movement, and I just kind of assumed we'd had him on the show, and and it's not the case. Anyway, Will Summer is a political reporter for the Daily Beast, whose beat, perhaps unofficially, I'm not sure, is just the weirdest right-wing shit, um, much of which has moved from the fringes to the GOP mainstream over the last seven years or so. Uh, Will hosts the Fever Dreams podcast, and he has a new book, or a new-ish book, I guess I should say, it came out in February, about the QAnon movement. It's titled Trust the Plan, The Rise of QAnon, and the Conspiracy that Unhinged America. Will Summer, welcome to We've Got Issues. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for taking the time. Now, folks, by the time this interview airs, I will have read the book. We're recording this on April 13th. We'll air it next week when I'm going to be doing some scuba diving down in Mexico. And I downloaded the book on uh, my Kindle for the trip. Will, I say this um, just in the interest of full disclosure, because I wrote a book a while back and did a bunch of interviews with people when I was doing promotions. And it was sometimes very obvious that they were pretending that they'd read the book. so i always try to be transparent um will let me ask you this how deeply has QAnon penetrated the american right i think public opinion polls have offered different estimates of how many uh, republicans embrace parts of the theories but i'm not sure if they're asking the right questions and i'm also not sure how you might Break down, you know, true believers who buy the whole elaborate conspiracy theory with Trump and the military battling the deep state uh, that's holding all these abducted children, extracting, extracting a substance called adrenochrome from their little bodies. And how many just think or at least say that, you know, Democrats in Hollywood celebrities are mostly pedophiles? 
Sure. You know, and, and, as you said, I think it's important judging there depending on which poll you take a look at um you know if you ask people do you believe in QAnon, you usually get three to seven percent um and then if you expand it to something like uh, a question you know a couple questions that that touch on QAnon beliefs so you can say um you know do you think that hollywood celebrities are these world elites are involved in satanic uh, child abuse uh, you know, you get it numbers in the teens. Uh, and then similarly, if you ask, you know, do you think a day is going to come where Donald Trump is going to to arrest all these world elites and and all these pedophiles, you, you get about the same amount. So, um, you know, and, and then I think we can, you know, look at it in other ways, too. You can look at how the Republican Party is seems to be very afraid to to stand up to QAnon um, or denounce these conspiracy theories or that Donald Trump is promoting them. So, you know, there's all all all, all sorts of different figures you can look at. Can you talk a little bit about the origins of this? I mean, I, I think it first occurred to me that it was like Pizzagate. Um, and do you think it snuck up on people who study or monitor extremist movements? Because um, that's kind of my sense that they weren't in tune with how pervasive it was becoming. You know, it's a good question. I think um, so. Right. So QAnon starts in October of 2017. And we, on 4chan, which is, of course, a sort of anarchic uh, internet message board, I, I'm sure if uh, you know folks listening to the podcast know what 4chan is, um, and someone pops up named Q and starts laying out these sort of cryptic messages and clues saying, you know, Hillary Clinton will be arrested by the end of the month was sort of the big first prediction. Um, and then from there, these clues become, they lay out this this whole worldview where, like I said, I mean, the, the world elites are in a blood drinking satanic cabal that sexually abuses and eats children. Um, and that one day this sort of utopian moment called the storm is going to come when Donald Trump and the military are going to arrest these world elites. And these include everyone from Tom Hanks to Oprah to Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton. And so those are sort of the, the core tenets of QAnon Um, in terms of if people were surprised by it, I think so. I mean, you know, I just personally, I would go to these QAnon events in 2018 and see, maybe a couple hundred people. And I would say, you know, this is as big as it's ever going to get, surely. Um, and it really only grew from there. Yeah. Um, but of course, you know, the mythical origins here, the kind of model that, that QAnon is based on, that goes back much further, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, QAnon, its genius is that it's able to to bring in all these different strands of conspiracy theories and these sort of, primordial ideas even um you know the just to take a look at the blood drinking which you know they believe that they consume that celebrities among others consume this substance called adrenochrome that they that they sort of tap from from children's brains during these satanic rituals um you know that goes back all the way to the middle ages when you would have this uh the blood libel that that jewish people were kidnapping gentile children and using their bread to make matzah during passover um and so the you see a lot of these these recurring ideas i mean certainly there's also this aspect of the satanic panic in the 80s this idea of um widespread sexual child abuse in these satanic worships i mean it's all these different strands that then get pulled in into QAnon. yeah by the way that was my dog getting up and he not wills will do you have a dog there uh i i do not i have a cat Okay, well, your cat is being nice and quiet. (laughs) This is actually a three-legged dog. Oh. Just FYI. Um, So QAnon did not go away with Donald Trump's loss, obviously. Um, There is something that kind of reminds me of the classic end times cult that just kind of adjusts its calendar when the end of the world does not come on the appointed day. 
Um, and you would think that saving all the children from the satanic cult would be a first term priority for a heroic president. Um, <laughs> But they've kind of adapted their storylines to accommodate Trump's loss, right? Like, what stories are they telling themselves now? Sure. So, I mean, the as you said, I mean, January 6th, but really especially the inauguration were these big climactic or maybe anticlimactic moments for QAnon. Um, it's key to the QAnon story that Donald Trump was recruited to run for president by the military so that they could take on this this nefarious cabal that runs the world. Uh, and so Donald Trump needs to be president for, for, for the storm, as they call it, the, this big moment where Donald Trump arrests his enemies and probably executes a bunch of them. And then the rest of us get to live in a Trump dictatorship. Um, it's key for that, that he be president. And so, you know, in the lead up to the inauguration, they started saying, oh, you know, I think the storm could still happen because, you know, look at D.C. All these fences are up. All these soldiers have come in. Uh, maybe this is just a trap to arrest the Democrats and the members of the cabal. Um, of course, for people outside of QAnon, that was because they had just done January 6th. And so that's why all the soldiers and fencing were there. Um, but then that moment when Biden is finally sworn in as president, that's the moment that QAnon seemed to really be shaken up. Um, and yet, a few days later, they regrouped and they said, well, I guess the deep state was just a little tougher than we thought. I guess Trump will have to be, we'll just have to reelect him. Or another popular option, Trump was still president, they thought. And so they would say, I think the Biden presidency is happening on a soundstage in Atlanta, Tyler Perry Studios, or, um, you know, or if a sign would fall over, they would say, see, this is all a Hollywood set. Uh, and Trump is secretly still the president. Can you talk a little bit about how you think uh the QAnon movement, uh, now that you know we're talking about January 6th, might have influenced the events of January 6th, the riot um, at the Capitol. Sure. I mean, I, I think QAnon, uh, as a point I make in the book, I mean, I think QAnon is a... Um, it, it was sort of an underrated factor uh, in January 6th. I mean, as of 2021, uh, about mid-2021, a lot of at least 60 people who were indicted related to January 6th were, were pretty outspoken QAnon believers. I'm sure that number's only gone up since then. I mean, you know, we it's been so long that, you know, you think about someone like the QAnon shaman. Um, but really, I think the... QAnon, I think, really provided a lot of force for the the mob. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, we've seen these different elements, the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers. But I think that sort of disorganized rabble uh, that 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 helped make January 6th happen. It was so important to it. I think a lot of those people were based on the indictments and their social media posts. We can tell were were very influenced by QAnon and convinced that January 6th would mark that day, that it would be the climactic day of, of reckoning and, and sort of this um, almost like an apocalyptic moment. And then after that, we'd live in a sort of heaven on earth. Uh, and, you know, the most prominent person on January 6th who believed that was uh, Ashley Babbitt, who was killed by the police and, and just a few days earlier had tweeted that January 6th would mark the storm. And so I think when we look at, you know, what would give someone that kind of crazed motivation to make them break through into the speaker's lobby, despite being warned that she would be shot and then ultimately getting shot, uh, you know, I, I think QAnon does seem to be the, the prime culprit there. Yeah, and there's research that shows that there's kind of a conspiratorial mindset. So a lot of these people had been primed to believe in the, um, you know, the deep state, uh, the QAnon's basic deep state mythology. And there's a, it seems like there's a parallel between that and the idea that there are shadowy forces operating within our own political establishment to sabotage the election or cheat Trump out of his rightful victory. Um, so on that level, I also, you know, I think that there's 
it primed the pump for the the Trump movement to think that it was justified in taking matters into its own hands. And just as an aside, you know, I studied foreign policy in college and we learned about the concept of the deep state long before Trump and QAnon came along. And it was um, it was decidedly non uh, criminal and not terribly dramatic. It was simply the idea that in addition to like political appointees that come and go with a new administration, the executive branch draws from the experience and um, accumulated institutional knowledge of career public employees and the national security establishment and related agencies. And that's kind of obvious. Um, anyway, that, that's tangent. But uh, Will, let me ask you this. To what degree, to what degree do you think the inherent goofiness of this movement has obscured the threat that it poses in the real world. Like it seems like you can laugh at um, just for example, so many of them believing that this random frumpy MAGA dude is JFK Jr. Or you can, you can marvel that it's such an obvious grift, but then, you know, some guy kills his own children because he can't fathom them suffering in this historic this this horrific world that QAnon has created yeah i think that's exactly right i mean the it it is so ridiculous and certainly in the book i think there's a lot of comedy um and you know if you try to treat it only as this very serious uh thing that doesn't have any ridiculous aspects to it um you'll go crazy uh but but i do think that you're, you're right on there in that there is this idea that QAnon, i think more than a lot of other things it just seems like such a dumb internet thing. And so I think for a while, the authorities, I think the FBI, I think a lot of people in the media um, treated it as like, you know, those of us who were reporting on QAnon, I think were treated as sort of as, um, you know, okay, all right, you found some weirdos online. Congratulations. Uh, and, and you know, even as as murders were racking up, I mean, you know, you had a QAnon guy who murdered the head of a mafia family. Um, you had, you know, it, it, last year you had, a, or maybe two years ago, you had a guy who's now been accused of murdering two of his children because of QAnon. Um, you know, and there are other murders as well. And, you know, in addition to other crimes, and it, this was sort of, a, I think, brushed off. You know, I think in the case of the media, I think there was this, um, there's this impulse to act like both parties are roughly equal and, and that one hasn't gone pretty crazy and sort of opened its tent to, to conspiracy theorists. And so I think in that way, there was also that motivation to sort of say, well, I think this QAnon thing is going to blow over. It's not that serious. Um, surely, uh, for example, one of the most powerful members of, of Congress in the Republican Party isn't someone who's going to believe in space lasers controlled by the Rothschild family or, or all false flag shootings. I, you know, I was speaking here about Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, you know, but you can really see that uh, there is such a ridiculous aspect of it. And, and you know, just like you said, I, I think that did make it easy for, for people who were maybe already, I think, incentivized for other reasons to, to look away and ignore it to continue doing that. Yeah, it's normalcy bias and that tendency to see both parties as uh, two sides of the same coin or more or less. Um, during his presidency, uh, Donald Trump himself kind of pretended that he wasn't familiar with QAnon when he was asked. He was uh, evasive, I would say. At one point, he said he had only kind of heard that they love him and uh, were thus must be good people, that kind of thing. Has Trump embraced this? Uh, movement more openly since leaving office. Yeah, he has. I mean, Trump has really gotten much more into QAnon than than he was even when he was running. I mean, as you said, 
initially in 2018, when all these QAnon people um, flooded into Trump rallies and, and got on TV, they started saying, eh, maybe no QAnon gear at the rallies, make them turn their shirts inside out. Uh, and of course, the QAnon people did not really, they rather than take the idea that uh, Trump thinks they're crazy and doesn't want anything to do with them. They said, well, you know, maybe he, he's been misled or the FBI has been tricked into thinking that QAnon's bad, or excuse me, the Secret Service has been tricked into thinking that's Q, that QAnon's bad. Um, but then in 2020, he started saying, well, maybe they're right about some things or or what would be wrong if we were going after the the elite pedophiles? Um, and then in starting last year on True Social, his social media network, he started just posting QAnon memes. And so he posts pictures of himself wearing Q buttons. And I mean, they're edited. I mean, they're not real buttons, but I mean, he's posting these really explicit QAnon things. It's not like there's a lot of code words or perhaps, oh, maybe Trump's misunderstanding what this means. I mean, he right. or whoever controls his social media account is just saying uh, like, yeah, yeah, we are cool with QAnon. What do you think that means? What do you take from that? You know, it's it's hard to know. I mean, I think on one hand, I think Trump is he appears to see QAnon people merely as um, sort of a Trump super fan club, uh, which you know I don't think is to excuse his his actions towards them. I mean, I think when I talk to people whose families have been twisted up by QAnon, they say these moments where Trump appears to signal that QAnon is real um, really give it a lot of new energy and help it get recruits. Uh, on the other hand, I think in, in sort of more practical terms. I think he's gearing up for this primary fight and he's also sort of making moves to imply that Ron DeSantis is a pedophile. He's posting pictures of DeSantis partying with high school students and stuff. And so, you know, if you wanted to perpetuate that idea, uh, you know, QAnon, I think would be a, a very helpful ally to have. Yeah, it would be folks. We're going to take a quick break and then be right back with Will Summer. Uh, stay tuned. The lace lady travel with grace, baby. I can't afford to cover the course. Of course, maybe And we're back with Will Summer, whose new book is Trust the Plan. Uh, Will, you were raised in a conservative household and I identified as a conservative as a young person. Can you talk a little bit about how that may have shaped or influenced both your interest in QAnon as a topic and also the way that you cover its appearance? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think I grew up with, um, you know, a lot of conservative media that I was consuming, uh, you know, a lot of talk radio, a lot of uh, Rush Limbaugh and, and Fox News, stuff like that. So I think just sort of in practical terms for me, it gave me a sort of a high tolerance for consuming this sort of media. And it gave me, gave me a real passion for it as well. And so, I mean, I've been following all of these characters, not QAnon, but various far right people um, before the Trump campaign started in for years just for fun. And then suddenly when they attained this influence and people were saying, well, who is this guy? Um, you know, th th there was an aspect of, uh, you know, th th that I was well positioned uh, to, to report on it and explain it to people. And I think the second part of what you said, I mean, I, I, I think I'm more 
I'm sympathetic and I, I in, in some ways to people who fall for this stuff. Uh, and I think I have a perhaps a grounding and sort of a gut check in what is is legitimate and what really is catching on with the Republican base and what's not. I mean, I think sometimes you hear uh, people in Washington talking about, well, you know, this person's going to be a big hit with the Republicans in the primary, stuff like that. And I think, oh, I, you know, I, I don't know about that. That doesn't really seem like something that's going to resonate. I think this other thing is is, is really taking off. And um, not that I have a crystal ball or anything, but I think it gives me a little more grounding in the field. Yeah. You often cover QAnon events um, in disguise. To To what degree has this beat caused you to worry about your own personal safety? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the... It is, it, it's a complex thing. I mean, it, it, the, the unfortunate thing about it, it's not like QAnon people are every day, you know, saying, oh, we're going to murder you or whatever. Um, but, you know, the, the unfortunate thing about it, and we see this with QAnon and we see it with other things, is that, you know, all it takes really is one disturbed person with a gun uh, to, to make things uh, very difficult for you if you're their target. And so, you know, I, I try to keep a low profile at QAnon events, as you said. Um, because, you know, I certainly identify myself as a reporter if I'm interviewing someone. Uh, but my concern is, you know, someone across the crowd, maybe who really doesn't like me seeing me and, and uh, you know, getting in the way. Uh, the, you know, it, I, I just try to generally keep a, a low profile about anything in my personal life online, um, you know, not posting pictures like that, um, just sort of keeping it keeping it to news um, in terms of my tweets. Uh, so, you know, just just some some precautions, certainly my my keeping my internet accounts pretty locked down. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's just it's not sort of a, an everyday issue for me, but but just something to be to be thoughtful of. Yeah, I don't think I could do what you do, because at some point, um, being immersed in this completely bonkers alternate universe where like facts cannot penetrate um, would just break my brain. Um, <laughs> let me ask you this, Will. How do you remain sane and have you struggled with burnout? Has that been an issue? Yeah, you know, I, I have a really high tolerance for it, I guess. Um and and I really do enjoy it. I mean, even if I wasn't getting paid for it, I, I'd be looking at these sites and I'd be reading these Telegram channels and all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, so okay, I mean, it, you know, and, and, and I was I was for years before, right? I mean, it was like on lunch breaks from my other reporting jobs and stuff like that. I would just be be doing this um, and reading these columnists stuff like that. And so, uh, you know, in terms of burnout, I think it was mainly during sort of the start of COVID when it, when it was such a sort of a depressing time in the world more broadly and. And in in a way that I think some people were able to sort of turn off and watch TV for, you know, certainly the first couple of weeks and just kind of hunker down. You know, it, I had to really immerse myself in that new world. And so that, that that was, you know, not my favorite time. But but otherwise, um no, you know, I, I'm, I'm I, like I said, I'm, I'm blessed with a high tolerance for it uh, in a way that I think not everyone has. And so uh, I might as well keep doing it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you a question that I think is uh, hard or maybe impossible to answer definitively, but I, I hope that you can offer kind of just an informed take on it. To what degree is QAnon about firing up the base for partisan ends, uh, grifting that sweet MAGA cash, and, uh, and to what degree do you think it's grounded in actual beliefs held by um, some of these QAnon promoters. I mean, do you think the people hawking T-shirts or whatever believe any of this nonsense? And what about people like Marjorie Taylor Greene? You know, I think it's a mix. I mean, let, let's just take the the QAnon promoters, the people who make the YouTube videos, who who hold the events, sell the merchandise, all that stuff. I mean, I think for most of them, it's a mix. I think, um, you know, a lot of them, I, I think, are true believers. I, I I think there's very few who are just entirely cynical people who have... 
um, who don't believe in QAnon or conspiracy theories and have just gotten into it to make a buck. Um, but that said, I mean, there's a lot of money to be made. Uh, you know, even some minor QAnon believers or excuse me, promoters have leveraged their their talents such as they are into buying multi-million dollar houses. And I mean, these are guys who definitely did not have much in terms of assets before QAnon. Um, and so there is a lot of money to be made. And so I think they perhaps already believe this stuff. And then there there are some incentives to keep believing it and promoting it. Um, in the case of Marjorie Taylor Greene, I, I think it's interesting to contrast her with Lauren Boebert, uh, someone who also believes in conspiracy theories. And in Boebert's case, I think she saw QAnon as perhaps a, a useful group to court electorally and a group to that she didn't really want to offend. I mean, she was asked about it and sort of said, well, it's more my mom's thing. But but I think it wouldn't it be nice if it was real, which is a crazy thing to say. Uh, but then you look at Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is far, far more into it than Boebert ever was. I mean, who left a lengthy online trail and she was posting extensively. I mean, these really kind of in the weeds debates about is this QAnon clue real? Do we believe this version of Q? All this stuff um, that really, and now she says, well, you know, maybe I posted a couple wrong hashtags. Maybe I was swept up in the moment for a second. But really, I mean, you, when you look at it, you can tell she was into it. Marjorie Taylor Greene is a really interesting case, and it, it is worthwhile contrasting her with um, Bobert, just in the sense that she it seems has embraced the idea of joining the establishment. Um, and you see that with her support for McCarthy's speakership. She's now in this massive kind of brawl with Laura Loomer, that unhinged wing nut. Um, she's renounced her ties to uh, the Groiper movement, Nick Fuentes. So it's very interesting to just kind of contrast their different approaches um, to taking their the extremism that brought them to prominence as backbenchers and what they're doing now that they're in that position. And of course, there's differences in their districts as well. Um, you, you referenced briefly talking to families that have been ripped apart by uh, QAnon. There's, I think there's a whole debate about whether the kind of, you know, dopes who buy the t-shirts are victims or uh, are belligerent extremists or both perhaps a mix of both, but certainly their kids and their spouses and their loved ones um, have been, have paid in many cases, a kind of steep price for this grift. Can you talk a little bit about that, Will? Sure. I, I think this is really one of the underrated uh, tragedies of QAnon are these families that are just ripped apart by by belief in it. Um, you have these situations where, uh, you know, a father or a mother or a spouse or a, a son or daughter uh, gets into QAnon and suddenly it's all they want to talk about um, and that they get sort of increasingly furious at their relatives for saying, you know, that's ridiculous. Um, I don't think that Tom Hanks, you know, drinks children's blood or what have you. Um, and then suddenly you have these moments uh, where, I mean, this has practical effects too, right? In terms of, particularly during the pandemic, uh, in terms of masking or vaccinating your children or, or even now vaccinating them with non-COVID vaccines. Um, and so the, the, it really plays into these ways. And, and I think it's, um, the the emotional impact it has on the people outside of QAnon is really heavy. I mean, for for the children of parents who get into QAnon, I think there's this aspect of sort of like your world turned being turned upside down, in which uh, you know this person who you've always trusted really more than anyone in the world suddenly you say this person you know they believe in this really crazy thing. You know what else in my life is, is uncertain. Um, you know it, it really has a way of upending families. And every couple of months there's a piece about like 
possibly deprogramming people in the QAnon community. And then someone else will come along and kind of throw cold water on that and say, oh, it's almost impossible. Has any has there been any kind of like successful model to get people to pull people back from this cult? You know, I don't think there is a, a really one size fits all model. I mean, all the stories I've heard about people leaving QAnon, it's usually a very idiosyncratic situation for them. Um, you know, it is uh, something where, you know, they perhaps Q posted about something that they knew about from their own lives, from their own career. And they said, well, wait a minute, I know that's fake. So what else about QAnon is fake? Or that um, there was one particular bit of QAnon evidence, perhaps, that they that they really clung on to. And when they see that that's conclusively disproven, they say, huh, you know, I, I wonder what else is, is wrong here. Um, and so it can be a very frustrating situation for people who are trying to bring someone out of QAnon. Um, you know, I, I think the best advice there is, is, uh, you know, if you choose to keep this relationship going, which which I think, you know, isn't necessarily the right choice always, um, you know, just to try to get that person offline or, or maybe get them obsessed with something a little less malign. Yeah. Um, you talked about, and I think that this is a defining feature of QAnon, that it's sprawling, it's adaptive, it brings in a lot of different older conspiracy theories and kind of mixes them all up in a blender of, of nuttiness. Um, where do you think... This this will be my last question before I let you go. Sure. Where do you think QAnon is going from here? Uh, where do you see it having legs beyond twenty twenty four, for example? You know, will it just it, morph it, into something like uh, the Tea Parties were a predecessor to to QAnon in a sense. You know, I you're exactly right, and 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 I think that we will see it morph into something else in all likelihood. Um, you know, I think. They, uh, you know, for example, we can look at Pizzagate, uh, which, you know, of course, involved this kind of QAnon type conspiracy theories about a Washington pizzeria. And then after a couple months of that, there was a shooting in at the pizzeria by a Pizzagate nut. And then suddenly Pizzagate became very toxic to promote for someone like Alex Jones or Mike Cernovich or Jack Posobiec. And there, you know, there were these lawsuit threats. And then suddenly Pizzagate sort of went underground and very few people were promoting it. And then about a year later, a lot of the same ideas reemerged as QAnon. And so, you know, I think as the as Q stops posting and, and as maybe the luster comes off of Q, I think there's a good chance that that this perhaps goes underground for a little bit, particularly if Trump uh, is sort of conclusively defeated in 2024 and leaves politics. Uh, I think it'll be out for a while. But then I, I, I really do think that in some form, this will be with us for decades. Will Summer, I believe we are about out of time. Folks, the book is Trust the Plan, The Rise of QAnon and the Conspiracy That Unhinged America. It's a bargain at 15 bucks on Kindle. You should check it out. Will, I really want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Thanks for having me. I would also like to thank David Edwards, our producer and engineer, and the good folks at Raw Store and Alternate for supporting the show. You can follow me on Mastodon at Joshua Holland. You can follow me on Spoutable at Joshua Hall. Oh, you can follow me on various other social media sites. You know, one thing that's been nice uh, about the silver lining of Elon Musk taking over Twitter is that Twitter was really a sweet spot for me to be addicted to social media. And I'd waste hours on that. And, you know, these other sites, they're okay, but... Um, I just don't feel like compelled to post all the time. So I'm posting a lot less and that's actually good for me. Good for my mental health. Good for my productivity. Um, you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, I would like to thank all of you good people for tuning in. Have a terrific week.